The following message is from King's Church 1066, based in Hastings, Bexhill and the surrounding area. For more information, head to our website, kings1066.org. so much for all of the feedback we've had on Paul and Richard coming into eldership. Next Sunday, 24th of September, 6pm, we will be appointing them into eldership and I invite you to come and join us. This is family together. This is a family event. God, how many youth have we got? That's brilliant. God bless you guys. Um, or are there just some people in their 40s thinking, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out there. Anyway, um, so, that's, uh, so that is next Sunday, um, 6pm, we will be appointing Richard and Paul into eldership. Um, Dave Holden will be down with us, which is brilliant. Today is um, labelled Diary to be Vision Sunday. Um, to be quite honest, I think what's just been happening in the first half really reflects who we are and what we want to be. So it's a, a physical illustration, I think, of the joy in worship and the celebration and yet also spiritual gifts as people come and bring who they are into this place. Um, and these, these sort of Sundays provide a great opportunity for us to look at what God has been doing but also take a look to the future and where we believe God is taking us. If I'm honest, some of the stuff I'm going to say today you will have heard before in different contexts, but I, I want to draw the threads together and I believe that there will be gifts of faith given for you for the coming year because we are, we are a nomadic people. We are following God. This is not our home. This is just where we're temporary residing until we go to be with God in glory. So we are, we are just temporarily here and our aim and our purpose and our objective is to give God our best in our worship and in our lives. We have got an incredibly rich history as a church which mustn't limit us but certainly provides a wonderful platform for the future and I don't know if you're aware of this, but we, we're going to have our 50th church birthday next year. So next May, next June, we're going to be celebrating 50 years of all that God has done among us. So that is, if you think about it, 50 years of preaching the gospel and seeing people respond to his wonderful grace in their lives. It's 50 years of praying for those that are sick for seeing the oppressed set free. It's, it's 50 years of doing life together, of fellowshipping, which is basically the Christian sort of word for friendship, but more than that. It's, it's friendship, but, but common purpose. It's like, it's like fellow teammates on a football team looking to win a match. That's, that's what fellowship is. It's, it's, it's 50 years of prayer of being filled with the Holy Spirit, of visiting the sick. It's, it's feeding the poor. It's baptising converts. It's teaching the truth. It's growing disciples. It's being family. It's raising children. It's burying the saints. It's marrying the saints. It's meeting together. It's giving money. It's opening our homes. It's caring for the poor. It's starting venues, it's raising leaders, it's buying buildings, it's appointing elders. It's witnessing to the risen Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we are. We are the church. It's who we are 
and it's what we do. And we're going to look at a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that I believe will remind us of stuff that is in our DNA, but it's also foundational. And I want to remind you of it because I don't want us to forget. I don't want us to think that we're built on something other than what I'm about to preach on today. And 1 Corinthians is a letter written to the church in Corinth. If you want to see how the church started, you can go to Acts chapter 18. And we can read how the Apostle Paul brought the gospel to Corinth. And he probably wrote this letter about five years later in AD 55. Corinth is a major city in the Roman Empire, probably the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire. It was a new city. It was built on new money. It was set up on a major trade route. Um, between the east and between Rome. It may have had as many as 600,000 people in it. To be honest, it may only have had 200,000 people in it. They don't quite know. Depending on who you read, they say different numbers. But it was a big happening city. And it's safe to say that Paul's relationship with the church in Corinth, since he planted it, wasn't at its strongest. He was worried about them. Because within the church, they had court cases against each other. Can you imagine Nick Beanie taking John Wales to court? Because, of, well, actually, yes, okay, we'll use another example. But, but they had court cases between each other. They had sexual immorality going on in the church that even the Romans thought was wrong. That's saying something. They had division. They had people getting drunk at church meetings. Not, not coming drunk, getting drunk on the communion wine. By the way, that isn't why we give you those little pots, just to make sure. That's, that's not the reason we do that. There was super spirituality and there was an abundance of arrogance. This church, Paul was worried about this church. And in the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul reminds them of their humble beginnings. He says, there's not many wise, there's not many who are powerful, there's not many of noble birth. Anyone put their hand up? I don't feel that wise. I don't feel that powerful. I'm definitely not of noble birth. But in fact, God chose those that are foolish, those that are weak, those that are low, those that are despised. And then we pick it up in chapter two. So it's chapter two, verses one through to five. And I, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and with fear and with much trembling. And my speech and my message were not with plausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God." We're going to look at this, these words under three simple headings. And then I just want to apply into where we are as a church, where we're sort of going. The first thing I notice here is Paul says, look, when I came to you, I came with simple words. I came to you, brothers. I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified the church at Corinth had been dazzled by amazing preaching certainly since Paul had left lofty speech and wisdom was what these super apostles had come in with they had visiting speakers that were so incredible that it left the church there spellbound but Paul came differently 
he decided to focus on the centre of the gospel, Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, Paul was knowledgeable. He was well educated. He could have spoken on any number of things. But when he was going to Corinth, he thought, no, no, I'm going to focus on what is most important. And the truth is, it wasn't very well received. In chapter one, we know that those of Jewish heritage, so Jewish people living in Corinth, they wanted signs and wonders. That's what they were looking for. I want to see some signs and wonders. The Greeks, they wanted insightful wisdom and lofty speech. So the Greeks thought that what Paul said was foolishness. It was stupidity. And, and for, Jewish, for, for the Jews, it was just like a stumbling block. And yet in spite of that opposition, Paul did not change his message because he knew the gospel was unique. And so he spoke about Jesus, his death, his resurrection and God's plan for salvation. Church, it's so easy to be on the back foot. It's so easy, if I'm honest, to be slightly ashamed or embarrassed about the gospel. Sometimes it's easier to talk about what we do as a church rather than what Jesus has done for us. But the power isn't in talking about what we do as a church. The power is talking about what Jesus Christ has done for us. It's Christ's story in us that has the power to transform lives. It's that testimony. Steve was talking about it for healing. But that testimony about how Christ has changed me. How he's supported me. How he's loved me. How he's brought me through down times. That's where the power of the gospel resides. It's, it's brilliant to talk about what we do maybe as a, a church with food bank or how we serve youngsters or the numbers that we gather on a Sunday. But the power is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we must regain our confidence in what Christ has done for us. We must rediscover our voice, not to talk about church, but to talk about Jesus. Paul didn't turn up at Corinth talking about what had happened in Thessalonica or, or in Athens. He came and he said, I'd resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him, a crucified saviour, which for the Jews was stupidity and for the Greeks, well, God, what's that mean? If you've got no clever words or clever thoughts for us, what has Jesus done for you? What has Jesus done for you? Could you tell someone how he has changed your life? There is power in it. There is power, and people want to know our stories. They want to know what Jesus has done. Can you just raise your hands where you are? Lord, I ask you, Holy Spirit, for boldness and wisdom to be storytellers about what you, Jesus Christ, have done for us. Lord, it, it may be simple words. We may not have answers to all the very clever arguments that are out there, but I pray would our voices speak out what you, Jesus Christ, have done for us. 
because there is power within it. Give us boldness, give us confidence, help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Secondly, so if the message wasn't that impressive, what about the delivery? Well, this is how Paul describes himself. He says, I came in weakness and in fear and with much trembling. Paul admits to the fact that when he turned up in Corinth, he felt weak. He was weak. He, he didn't have the resources. He, he wasn't like super apostles that came in with incredible preaching. He, he didn't have that. And then secondly, he says he was fearful. I don't know. He turned up on his own, if you read Acts chapter 18, he turns up in Corinth on his own, a city of anything between two to 600,000 people, the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire, the capital of this region of the Roman Empire. Previously, he'd faced fierce opposition. I mean, basically, if you travel with Paul, when he preaches about Jesus, you get beaten up. If you read the story of Acts Basically, that frequently, he either gets beaten up or he runs away. This, this is what happens. So it's not surprising that when Paul turns up in Corinth, he turns up feeling weak. He turns up feeling fearful. And then he says this, and with much trembling. So I was trying to think, when was the last time I was so afraid that I trembled? When did, I mean, I've seen war films, you know, and I don't know if you've sort of watched war films and things like that, where you see people so afraid before they go into battle that they are trembling, holding their weapon or their gun. I, I can't think the last time I was so afraid that I was trembling. But Paul says, when he turned up in Corinth, he knew that he was weak. He knew that he was fearful. And he was that fearful that, that there were times when he physically trembled. Two things just worth noting. Firstly, when Paul comes to Corinth, he's a mature Christian. So as a mature Christian, he still felt weak at times. He was still, still fearful and at times so fearful that he trembled. It's just interesting. Paul was an apostle. And yet at times, those emotions still crashed in on him. But secondly what you'll notice is it didn't stop him preaching in Corinth. It didn't stop him preaching in Corinth. Paul was there for 18 months and he faced opposition. I, I wonder if Paul may have faced daily battle with those feelings. Before he went to the synagogue, how would they respond when I stand up in the synagogue and I'm talking about Jesus? Will it, will it be like that other place where they ran me out of town? Will they try and stone me? Will they, will they beat me? I wonder if Paul faced all of that. So not only was the message simple, but the man who delivered it was weak, but he still pushed through. How did he? How did he battle those thoughts? Well, there's just a few quick things I'm going to go through and then we, we will just move on to this last point. It's interesting, Acts 18, verse 9 and 10, Paul has a vision. And in it, Jesus appears to him 
And the Lord said to Paul on one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. No one will attack you to harm you, for I have many people in this city. I believe that spiritual gifts are given to strengthen the church to encourage us. And so one of the ways we find strength in times of fear is through prophetic gifting and stuff like that, where we are those that pour strength into one another. And I wonder if that gave Paul a real strength. I also wonder if, if Paul found strength from the word of God. The apostle Paul would have known the Old Testament. And I wonder if, for instance, Psalm 56 verse 3 and 4 may have been a help to him. He says, the psalmist said this, when I am afraid, what does he do? When I'm afraid, I... When I'm afraid... So it's interesting, the psalmist got afraid, but then he put his trust in God. How do you do that? Well, the psalmist starts to see God how he really is. My God is big. My God is eternal. My God has no end and he has no beginning. My God cares for me. My God is with me every day. He knows the hairs on my head. He knows words before I have said them. How does the psalmist put his trust in God? He gets the right perspective of God and then makes the decision to trust him. He, he fills his mind with who God is. Morning by morning before going to the synagogue, Paul is there probably battling through to a place of faith so he can go again and talk about Jesus. By the way, this is not, not easy, but it's, it's real. The Bible's real. And then lastly, I wonder if fellowship was really helpful to him. See, when Paul turned up in Corinth, he turned up on his own. But it then says that he met Priscilla and Aquila, who he started to partner with. And then Silas and Timothy turn up. I wonder if this little mini church planting team were a real strength to Paul. You know, when Paul wanted to give up, when Paul said, no, I don't know if I can preach about Jesus again. I wonder if they said, no, no, we're with you, Paul. We're, we're coming alongside. We're going to help you. As we battle with all the different struggles, maybe feelings of weakness, feelings of fear, maybe extreme fear, where do we go? We look to the Holy Spirit for help and encouragement. We look to the word of God and the promises that he has given us. And we turn to one and the next morning you wake up and there are, help me. I know many of you will have prayed that many times. And verses four and five, so where do we go from here? It's funny, I view weakness, fear, trembling and a lack of eloquence as barriers to gospel advance and a legitimate reason for me to remain silent. Anyone else? Fear, trembling, weakness and I've only got simple words, I won't even speak up. But, but Paul doesn't. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul wants the gospel to shine. He wants people to experience a demonstration of the spirit and power, which can be obscured by self-confidence, 
eloquence, human wisdom, human ideas. Paul knows that the message of Jesus Christ and him crucified is both the power and the wisdom of God. It's the power of God to save and transform a fallen race of human beings. It can soften the hardest heart. It can transform the greatest of sinners. It can heal lives devastated by sin. So he proclaims Jesus, ignoring the insults, the complaints by both Jews and Greeks, because the cross and Jesus crucified is God's way. What do we see when we go to the cross? We see Jesus, both God and man, sent to save broken people. What do we see at the cross? We see a chasm of sin that has been produced. Sorry, we see the chasm sin has produced between human beings and God. At the cross, we see the wickedness of sin, the, the depravity of the human heart, and we see God's thorough hatred of sin. This is what we see at the cross. At the cross, we see the cost of sin. At the cross, we see the justice of God. At the cross, we see God's love shining through. At the cross, we see sin forgiven, paid for in Christ's death. We see the freedom from the power and the pollution of sin. I am no longer a slave to it. At the cross, I died with Christ. At the cross, I see that I am now a saint, a holy one. At the cross, I see that I am now free from condemnation. At the cross, I see that I am saved from the evil one's power and dominion over my life. I realise at the cross that I am chosen, adopted and have direct access to God my Father. I find that I am seated with Christ in heavenly places. At the cross, I see that I am safe eternally so, and I will never be rejected by God. I can experience peace, joy and comfort from God himself. I'm empowered to live for God by the Holy Spirit. And it's a free gift. It's a grace gift received by faith. And every day, flowing from the cross of Jesus Christ, I find a substantial daily provision of grace, mercy and kindness from God. That is who we are as Christians. Now, you don't look very excited about it, but because a lot of you here are English, I'm assuming that the joy is internal rather than external, and I'm going to live with it. But, but if you're not English here... We find the gospel, the rule and the reign of God, although it starts small like, he, like yeast in a batch of, batch of dough, impacts and transforms us. This is why the Apostle Paul said when he went to Corinth, I decided to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified because that's where transformation happens, is at the cross of Jesus Christ. That's why the Apostle Paul pushed through weakness and fear and trembling. That's why we mustn't church, and I know many of you don't, but we mustn't settle for the lie of cosy church where our needs are met, our comfort remains unchallenged. Let's not forget the prophetic words we have had recently. 
we are to be a church with a gritty edge. Now, if I'm honest, at times we're more like a dishcloth than sandpaper. Aren't we? How's our gritty edge going in our nine to five? Like sandpaper. A little bit abrasive in a right way. What about the parable of the lost sheep where the shepherd leaves the 99 and goes searching for the one? Why? Because he cares about the one. How are you doing? Are you much more comfortable with the 99? How are you doing at searching out the one? Who's your one? Who are you going for in prayer, if nothing else? This is what we're here for, church. If it's only to worship Jesus, we might as well be in glory with God. But we're not because we've got a purpose. What about Peter, who, who, who was told to let down his nets again, even though he had been fishing all night? All night, but because Jesus said, go again, he let down his nets. We've got Alpha coming up in two weeks. For many of you, you have invited and you have invited and you have invited. You've let down net after net after net after net, and you've never had anyone come or hardly anyone come. Jesus says, let down your nets again. Who are you going to invite? Who are you going for? We've got these two alphas starting in the next few weeks. If I'm, if I'm honest, I've done the last two alphas. I've been involved in leading them. They are brilliant. There's some people here that have done alpha this year. And if they hadn't done alpha, they wouldn't be here with us. But they are. Jesus has changed their lives. He has. Now, it's not alpha. It's a gospel. It's the cross of Christ. But, hey, how hard is it to say to someone you know, do you want to come to alpha with me? We get a bit of food, we watch some videos, and we get to talk about Jesus. And, and we're not really in danger of physical harm, are we? Not like the Apostle Paul, who pushed through weakness, fear, and much trembling. Worst cases, they might say no, they might be a bit bolshy with us. That's why we're stretching our resources because people need to know about Jesus. That's why we are, that's why six years ago we planted into Bexhill. Hill. That's why we are planting into central St. Leonard's. That's probably why we will plant into some other places as well in the future because we are here to reach the broken, the lost, and the trapped. It leaves gaps in our serving teams, it stretches our finances further, it exposes weakness, it's easier not to bother, but we will bother. And whether you stay or whether you go, please make a difference in your venue. What, what part can you play? How can you fill those gaps? How can you reach out? We're called to serve one another, to wash each other's feet. Whose feet have you washed this week? You know what I mean. I'm not saying go with a bucket of water. But, but, but that act of service where you get nothing from it, you're just giving away because we're family. That's why we've got gift days over the next couple of weeks. Because we want to see the forward extension of the kingdom through venues. We, 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 we believe that Bexhill needs its own building if it's going to effectively reach the 42,000 people who are there, we 
We get to play a part in that. We get to send them well. We get to give our money. Yet some of it will go to what we're doing here, but most of it will go to Bex Hill. What a privilege to play our part in that. I heard a story. Oh, I'm so far running over. It's unbelievable. I heard a story of a local Sussex church that before, before COVID felt God calling them that they should get a building in Sussex. And so they started having gift days, not knowing what the building was. Over six years, it's a church of 100 people. Over six years, they raised £600,000. Then after COVID, this building came up, a warehouse building came up. That's about a third of the size of our building. Now, I think there are 100 people. They had 600,000 given and pledged on top of that. Some of it interest-free loans. So that's 1.2 million people. 1.2 million pounds in, in about eight or nine years. That is incredible sacrificial generosity. Now, over the next two weeks, church, please can I ask you, don't tip God. Don't, don't just put a bit in. I'll help you out a bit, God. Go after him, ask him, pray, say, God, what do you want me to give? Lord, this is an act of worship to you. I will not bring something that has cost me nothing. How will you get involved? J.C. Pollock said this, if the love of Christ Jesus could take root in Corinth, the most populated, wealthy, commercially minded and sex obsessed city in Eastern Europe, it must prove powerful anywhere. Amen? That was rubbish. <laughs> I'll say the quote, you amen me at the end, or amen the quote, so not me, the quote. If the love of Christ could take root in Corinth, the most populated, wealthy, commercially-minded, sex-obsessed city in Eastern Europe. It must prove powerful anywhere, including Hastings and St. Leonard's. Amen. That's what we're into. The gospel works. It saves sinners. It transforms them into saints. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, useful to God, it's what we're part of.